Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm cold. I'm overweight. And it's too early in the day to drink beer. <sighs> okay. Twenty sixteen. We're still going. Hi, everybody. It's time for another episode of the podcast that occasionally has to practice what it preaches. Yeah, more on that to come. Oh boy, what did I get myself into? Hey everybody, it's the Pack Filler Podcast. I'm Pat Bulger, here in my little basement hole of a studio, which I'm going to apparently be spending a heck of a lot more time in now that I made these silly promises. Yeah, that, ow, that's kind of like a, just, no, I'm not going to complain too much. How are you guys doing? It's still January here. I'm looking out the window above at my driveway, and I'm still seeing a lot of snow, which means that I, I tend to get a little bit depressed this time of year. I'm not going to lie. Holidays are over, and so it turns into one of those winter doldrum kind of things. I do get, I think I get the, uh, what is it called, the the... Sad seasonal affective disorder. I should get. I have one of those lamps. My wife gave it to me a couple years ago. Maybe I need to use that. Just sit in front of it until I start twitching. Oh boy! Hey, perfect time to thank the sponsors. <laughs> oh my God! Another edition of the Pack Filler Podcast coming to you. Big thanks to the Sufferfest who has uh, been with us for a long time. Although you know things are changing over at the Sufferfest quite a bit for the good for those guys over there. So congratulations to all those guys. Uh, big thanks to Sufferfest for being involved with the show in any way, shape, or form over the years. I was able to ride finally and review the best thing in the world, one of the three new videos. Actually, there is going to be another fourth coming out here very soon, entitled Power Station. But I got to ride the best thing in the world recently. Two 13-minute, 30-second race simulations, all done in the comfort of your own pain cave. Uh, great way Great wake up for uh, those of us snowed in and able to get out too much. Yes, I know some of you are saying, Pat, you do cyclocross, you big pussy, or uh, get out your fat bike. I don't have a fat bike, and um, I'm not in shape for cyclocross yet this year. So uh, nationals are happening, I think, why, uh, while I am recording this very episode. So I'm going to have to tune in and see how that all went. Um, my 4A in cyclocross is, I haven't done it. I, I did it two years ago, and I haven't done it again since. Um, it's fun. It's a great time, but I don't know why. I've just, I, this time of year, I'm not, I'm not getting out there. So, uh, so shut up if you're telling me I need to get out more. Um, uh, oh, yeah, best thing in the world. <laughs> I was supposed to be reviewing that. Um, I actually did it just recently. In fact, I had to do it twice because the first time I wrote it, I did it with the old FTP setting for when I was a little bit better shape earlier in the summer. And, um, and that was a mistake. It was brutal. You guys absolutely brutal. I, 
I didn't make it through. I'm not going to lie. I made it through the first 13-minute effort, and then I started the second one, and it's that hard of a workout, you guys. Um, and so I had to do the FTP test a couple days later just to make sure my numbers were right, and sure enough, they weren't, and reset everything, did the ride again, and I'm, it was not any easier, but I made it through that second time. Absolutely brutal workout um, designed by, oh, I can't remember who, I think somebody over at Apex Coaching, and um, a knight of Sufferlandria, and an absolute, those guys are just, they do some brutal work over there. It's uh, great workouts, stuff to keep you going through. So highly recommended, the best thing in the world. Um, thanks to the Sufferfest for being involved. Um, although not a good use of the web link uh, for, you know, yours truly, but the new app for the Sufferfest is up. They now have an app with access to, from what I'm recalling, all of the videos. So go, you can go and check that out, I'm sure, in the iTunes store. Um, 2016 Tour of Sufferlandria coming up February 6th through 14th. I misspoke earlier. It is not seven days. It's nine um, incredible motivator to get you going through the winter if you are of the cycling-oriented. Well, if you're not, I'm not really sure why you're listening to this show. Um, so tune in and check that out. Get involved with the Tour of Landry. It's absolutely evil. Um, I have done a boatload of shows over the years talking to many people involved with uh, the Tour of Landry, and you can just check those out. There might be a little odd in terms of content, but... It's going to get you an idea of what the event is like and how many people are involved. And it's all going to a really good cause with the Davis Finney Foundation for Parkinson's Research. And um, big change in the tour, it basically being this year, is that in terms of accountability, in years past, you've had to go through train or road, finish the videos each day on time by a specific time. They're going more on the trust system this year from what I am making out. You wouldn't cheat. It's not going to do you any good anyway. So every donation to the, I think it's $10 or over every $10 you donate to the Davis Finney Foundation for the Tour of Landria, that's your entry fee. And you get to be involved with the event, good groups, um, and a huge ass prize list. I think there is a BMC bicycle full bike on the line for the prize list. So uh, check it out, thesurferfest.com. Speaking of checking out, check us out on iTunes. Give us a rating. See what you think and what you don't think. If you give me a bad rating, I will find you. I will hunt you down, and I will burn your house to the ground. Okay. Sponsors out of the way. I should say Trainer Road. Click on that link. I should say Elephant Bikes. Glenn did us a good favor for a couple of years. Thanks to Glenn. So, you guys, um, big announcement show here. I have, um, well, it's kind of a selfish big announcement, I guess. I have talked about my lack of motivation quite a bit on this show. I'm sure you're all thinking, God, what a big pussy. And you wouldn't be wrong by saying that. Um, My lack of motivation, being kind of tired of racing, um, started racing back in 1982, so cut me some slack. I've been doing it for a long time. And um, and I've been saying that things are needing a mix-up. Oh, God, why did I keep saying this? Why is there documented proof? of my complaint. Uh, I had mentioned that I wanted to do something different this year, something epic this year. You know, everybody turns over that new leaf at the new year. People make resolutions, spend a fortune on a gym membership that they never use, promise to stop drinking, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, lay off the math, things like that. Um, And 
I mentioned that last year I put in for the Leadville 100. Not the run. No. Somebody asked me on Facebook if I was doing the run. No, I'm not doing the run. I don't run. I didn't get in last year. I put in for the Leadville lottery this year, and the drawings came out a couple days ago. And, um, yeah. They drew my name. I got to do the race in August. As a Twitter follower mentioned, it's probably time I, uh, get on my bike and probably do something. Oh, shit. I can't complain about things anymore. I actually have to be productive. It's If you don't know what it is, if, if you're not involved in mountain bike racing in the continental United States, it's 100 miler, which, you know, not a big deal, right? I could ride 100 milers. I did do them on the road every couple of years or every so often. And no, this is a little different. It's all off-road, okay? From what I understand, kind of open trail, fire roads, nothing overly technical. But the big catch is it's in Leadville, Colorado, and the entire course is, from what I can recall, between 10,000 and 12,000 feet above sea level. I'm a, in case you haven't met me before, I am a, what we would categorize as a below average climber. Um, let's just put it this way. I'm in deeper shit than Donald Trump's campaign manager right now. I've got so much work to do and it's got to begin. It already did begin. I've been, um, getting my ass away from talking about things and starting to actually come through on some of my promises I'm going to need to lose weight, I'm going to need to build power, and I'm going to up the hell out of my VO2. It's got to happen. Oh, Jesus, I've got work cut out for me. And I know, yeah, you're just saying shut up and do it. I'm, I'm going to. Uh, base training has begun. And um, I know that base miles are kind of an outdated concept, but I, I do got to get that fitness base beyond what I've been doing over the years past. I don't... I, this... I, Leadville is huge. There are like 2,000 competitors from what I understand. So it's not like it's going to be, you know, something that I'm necessarily trying to, you know, I got to pass this guy. I got to pass that guy. You know, it's, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be more of an attrition type of, of an event. Um, for people I know who've gone say it's, it's really crowded, especially at the beginning sections. So it's not like you're sprinting out of Leadville trying to, trying to jockey for position. It's going to be more of a race within yourself to see if you can compete, um, and, and reach a goal, which many try for the 12 hours and under, uh, so you can receive a gigantic ass belt buckle because that really speaks about my fashion tastes are gigantic, big ass belt buckles. But um, it's it won't go on a belt if if it happens, but it will uh, it will definitely be something of pride. It's kind of like I said, I think it's kind of a bucket list item. It's something that it's it's a motivator. It's something to do. It's um it's it's something that's going to keep me going. So I got to get some saddle time in, and um, with the weather here in the great Northwest, I wish I would have made it last year. 
all honesty, because the weather here last year during our winter was absolutely it was just dry. I mean, it, we had very little snow. I could I could have been doing outdoor miles. Um, so it's going to be, you know, hello, Zwift. Hello, Netflix. And hello, the trainer. Um, so I'm staring at it right now. I got to get on it as soon as I finish recording this episode. Oh, God. You guys, it should make some fun material, I guess. So that's my gift to you, the listener. I'm, I'm not the type of person who's going to be posting um, my workouts, but maybe some funny observations along the way. So whether you like it or not, I guess you're in the, on the ride for me here with me here. If you're going, if you were chosen to do Leadville, um, drop me a note, drop me a, a tweet, drop me something on Facebook, and 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 tell me what you're doing. And if you've done it before, um, any advice and anything to get you through. I'm 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 not gonna pay for a coach. I'm gonna do this solo, and I'm gonna shoot for the 12 hour mark. So if you know of also any interesting warm-up events prior to Leadville um, that could fit in with a, a guy who's got an announcing schedule, um, let me know on that, too. That'd be interesting to see if I can find some events that go out and kind of keep you going, you know, test the fitness and test the base and see how that's going. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting, you guys. Um, so anyway, on to the show. I know I changed the format three episodes ago, and um, but occasionally... Um, things fall into place in your lap. I'm not switching the format back to the, just, just cycling. I promise we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff, but, um, uh, sometimes interview opportunities come up and, and this one has been in the works for a long time now. So if you didn't, if you haven't been a long time listener, you might not know that I have talked about women's, uh, cycling before and, Yes, there is a gender inequality in my personal opinion. Um, I think the sports are different, and I don't think they should necessarily be 100% compared that way. But if you talk about women's cycling, you cannot talk about the history of women's cycling without bringing up the name of Marianne Martin. And uh, ever since finding her on Facebook, I have tried to reach out to her to get onto this show. Um, schedules have changed, mix-ups, something along the way, uh, I'm never good at booking people on the show in terms of time change, but she was in Colorado, so it was easier to figure this one out. It's not like I'm trying to call Taiwan, which I've had to do in the past and figure out days and hours, but uh, the stars have aligned, and I was able to sit down with Marianne Martin and get her on the phone and have a little discussion with her about her career, about... um, the biggest win of her career, arguably, and if you, like I said, if you don't know, you will find out about all that when I get to the intro of the actual interview. Um, so without further ado, uh, a great chat and a good time talking with um, a really cool personality. I will give you over to the great Marianne Martin. Ten questions with... Okay, as everybody knows, I like to have guests on the show. It's a great change from my usual rants, which I'm sure you're all sick of, and provide you, the listener, with some uh, really good insight and motivation on topics and personalities that this show covers. And for each interview, if you didn't know, I actually do homework. I uh, do some reflection as well as good cold hard research, stats, history, upbringing, and all that kind of stuff to get into it. So why the hell am I going on like this? Well, I'll tell you, if you were to go on Google right now and look up the first American winner of the Tour de France, what pops up? I'll tell you what should pop up, today's guest. 
1984, she took the lead in stage 14, if I'm not mistaken. She could correct me if I'm wrong. In the inaugural Tour de France Feminine. 21-day, 18-stage race covering every mountain pass that that other so-called Tour de France covers, and she became the first American to wear yellow in Paris. Um, I would personally like to welcome Marianne Martin to the show. Marianne, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Was I, was I right in, in, um, on stage 14 is when it came on? You know what? I'm sure you know better than me. I don't, re- I don't remember details. You don't dwell in the past. You're not sitting there staring at the stats every night, right? Right, but, uh, <laughs> but it was fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, you know, I, w- of course we're going to get to that because the show's about, about cycling, and of course that is a, a big highlight that anyone would love to obviously lay claim to. But just for the sake of some of our listeners who, who weren't around in 84, I personally was, but um, if you don't mind, I'd like to start a little bit back from there and, and ask you, first of all, your career, when you got started, and what was women's cycling specifically like at the time? I, I was born and raised here in Spokane, Washington, and we had the Olympic trials then, and it was, it was growing immensely. But for you, what was it like? Well, I got started in cycling for a couple of reasons. I, um, I worked at the Boulderado Hotel when the course classic came, <laughs> and, and the Boulderado Hotel was the... Uh, host hotel and so i was around all the spike racing and i thought it sounded really cool and there were parties after <laughs> and there were parties after and did i mention there were parties after parties after all the glory days <laughs> right so that was a big interest for me and um and i've always loved fitness so i i kind of started riding a bike and um the guys at the spoke uh doug emerson who now owns university bikes and Scott Havlick were big, enthusiastic uh, supporters of me riding, and they invited me to go to a race. And I'm like, all right, you guys, I'll go to a race. Party after, I'll go to a race. Um, so I kind of got into racing, and then when I was graduating from college, my dad was going to give me some money. I said, great, Dad, because I want to buy a racing bike. So he bought me a camera. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's how I make my living now. Yeah. I'm a photographer. Um, and, you know, I was interested in photography in high school, but it wasn't that big of a thing. But clearly my dad didn't trust the bike racing <laughs> direction. So he bought me a camera. I took out a loan to get my first racing bike and went from there. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so uh, about when was that? Not to date anybody, but what, what about when? Uh, what time are you? Um, Let's see, that was probably, I don't know, 79. Rough guess, 70, okay. Okay, that's about right. 79-ish, yeah, uh-huh. So, now, what was your, you obviously had to have an athletic background. What was it primarily in before this? I was a dancer. You were a dancer. You went from dancing to cycling. Well, and here's the thing, is that, I don't like ball sports. I have no hand-eye coordination. So that's really all that was offered in my high school is, is ball sports oh, yeah. or synchronized swimming, which I did. Um, and I was a cheerleader, so I was active. And I, and I actually started running on my own, which at that point was I was considered weird. That's okay. So I ran through high school. Um, and... So coming into college, you know, fitness was important to me. Dance was what I had done growing up. I danced in college. 
and there just weren't any sports that really caught my, you know, my spirit. And I was running when I was out of college, but I kind of hurt my back. And so I just got on a bike and that's when I met Doug and Scott. And that's when, you know, cycling came to being. And I, I think about how I kind of came by cycling sort of happenstance. And I'm thinking how many people out there, could really excel at this great sport, but just haven't gone that direction for whatever reason. Well, you know, it's it's funny to kind of go through that. It's I have always figured it it is a crying shame in the fact, especially in current society where the sport has such an expense. With running, you can buy a pair of shoes and you're pretty much ready to go. Um, and with cycling, there's so much more involved, especially just starting with equipment and travel and expenses and racing, racing entry fees and all those types of things. You're right. And I forget about that. Um, <laughs> you know, until two months ago, I rode on the same bike that I raced on. So for 30 years, I, I rode the same bike that I raced on because I'm like, it worked then. Why can't it work now? <laughs> And of course, then you ride a new bike. You know, I was on vacation with my family. We rented bikes, and I realized how nice new bikes are. And yeah. It is really nice. But <laughs> without that experience, you know, any bike, any bike gets you on the road. Yeah. And it's not about the bike. It's about the passion about cycling and, and pushing yourself. You no, know, I, I agree 100%. And it's too bad that that is that sometimes isn't the mentality as much anymore. A lot of times it's, I need to have this type of a setup. I need to have, uh, you know, I, it's got to be carbon or I'm going to lose or all those types of mentality, whatever happened to just, as my dad always used to say, it's all in the legs. You just got to say, ouch, more than the other people. Right. And even back when I was racing and, um, you know, I got so little money. Um, I mean, oh, I was on a team, but if I raced outside of Colorado, I, I got no money because it was no benefit to them. So, but I, I, I wanted to, I wanted to see how good, you know, how, how, how I could do. And so I paid my own way to race out of state, you know, travel, housing, racing, everything. Cause I'm like, I want to, I want to see how good I can be. I want to do the best. Yeah. And now it seems like people won't do that unless they're paid. I, I'm not sure. It just it just sounds like people want more. I think I raced at a fabulous time when it wasn't about wanting more. It was about wanting to do, and it was great. You know, I agree. So here we here we are in in seventy nine eighty or so to speak. All of us, you know, to to starting out to being selected for the tour in eighty four. Um, for those not in the know, cycling is a huge learning curve and it's also, um, uh, you know, not just fitness, but also tech, you know, technique and, and tactics and those types of things. What was that learning curve like to go in that short amount of time to lining up at the premier tour de France? Well, a couple things. I hung out with the guys cause you know, I like hanging out with guys yeah. and, they always talk about their racing and they don't really ask women anything about their race. So after the race, I'd be in the van with the guys and they'd be talking about their racing. So I learned a ton about technique and strategy from listening to the men. 
um, there wasn't a lot of coaching when I was when I was racing. Although Andy Pruitt was a friend of mine, he's a trainer, and he taught me about effort and rest and effort and rest. So it wasn't so much about tactics, but it was about training mentality where you do a hard effort and then you rest and you do a hard effort and rest. And even to this day, I see people just going out medium, 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 yeah. Yeah. like long miles, medium miles. And I'm thinking, you got to train hard to race hard. Yeah. And you got to rest to let your body recover from that effort. So I took training like a science. I kept a religious training diary. I knew my pulse differential every day. If, if my pulse differential was high, I, I would scrap my training plans. Um, I, was, I was pretty scientific about my training, and I know that helped a lot. The other thing I did is I did a lot of visualization, and I know that helped a lot. In terms of when you say visualization, just, just for the sake of us who, you know, what, what, was, what did that entail? Well, um, I went to, when I was racing, but I was still working, I went to a seminar by these two guys that um, did visualizations for cancer patients and for, yeah. I, I don't know what else. For me, it caught my eye because I was in a sport. And um, so they worked with me to do visualization about strength and power and uh passing pain and um i think it was really powerful and i i even want to start teaching it because i can't believe that more people aren't doing it now but i i swear i know it had a huge effect on my skills and abilities well absolutely you know in a sport that's you know many people say is 50 percent mental and 50 percent physical and that might be not even fair to say it um, because you can have several athletes the same fitness levels, but if somebody wants it more and and, and is focused that much more, it's gonna it's gonna obviously apply. Right, and and you know I think there's other things too. Like when I go out training with with friends or teammates, I would always get creamed. But when I was in a race, I I excelled, and so I think that is mental. I think so much of it is mental. And I don't, I don't think that's addressed as much. I also think rest is really underrated, and, yeah. and that's that's a huge one for me too. Is you know you you train really hard, you tear your body down, and if you don't rest, you're never letting your body build up. And that was a big thing for me. Wow. Okay. Um, here's a frank question for you: Do you consider yourself the first U.S. Tour winner? Why or why not? Well, I, I don't know. I never thought about it. I mean, really, you you I haven't mean, ever because, thought about it. Well, the men's race and the women's race is different. I consider myself the first women's okay. winner of the Tour de France. Okay. Um, I just, to be honest, throughout my life, I mean, I grew up racing in the '80s, and uh, well, I started racing in the '80s. And um, I remember watching and well, not watching, couldn't watch anything, you know, until John Tesh came on every fourth Sunday. And um, I remember reading about you and winning and Velo News and those types of things and thinking to myself as a as a teenager, wow, this is our first tour winner. 
Well, you know, Jonathan Boyer was a big inspiration for me okay. because he um, he was the first American to ride in the Tour de France. Yeah. Um, and I always thought, as soon as I heard there was a women's Tour de France, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I, I really separate the men's race and the women's race. So I, I don't think about it like that. Okay. For, for I, you know, I don't know why, but I, I just don't. It sounds like you're not a very selfish person when it comes to this, so you're not standing from the rooftops going, screw you guys, I want it first, or anything like that. <laughs> no, no, uh-uh, yeah. not at all. So, And it's such a personal thing for me. Like, I'm not one to scream, look at me. Yeah. I'm, it was such a personal thing to do. I can, And, and part, part of the whole funny thing about that is... Uh, Steve Kilford was a good friend of mine, and um, the year that I won, I was actually really struggling the first part of the year, and we'd go out training in Texas, and the overpasses for a highway, you know, that little tiny bit of a hill was a challenge for me, Okay. and he used to give me so much grief about it, so when I was at the tour, I wanted to get the polka dot jersey because I wanted to show Steve that. I am a hill climber. Look at me go. <laughs> and so it was little things like that that really propelled me. It wasn't, you know, it, it was a very personal thing. Was there a moment before that stage 14 that, I mean, this is a while ago, and I don't want you to, you know, pick your brain too hard. Was there a moment that you realized to yourself, I can do this, this can be done? There was, actually, and it's so unlike me to think this, but um, I actually got third in the first stage. Um, and so as we were going, and I actually, I don't remember exactly when this was, but at one point I got to go to the men's tour, and they did some photo shoot with me and Laurent Fignon and mm-hmm. uh, Vincent Barteau, and um, Vincent, he might have been in the yellow jersey, but he pointed at Laurent Fignon and said, he's going to win. And I remember thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm going to win. And, and that is so unlike me, but I really felt it at that point. I really felt like I was getting stronger and stronger every day instead of getting tired. Being that Europe is what Europe is and their love of the sport and um, at the time, the infancy, we could probably say, of the sport here in the States, um, what were reactions like, if you can remember, upon You mean with the, with the Europeans or with the Americans? Both. I mean, can you compare and contrast uh, the, the two of them at all? Well, while I was racing, um, you know, my name was painted on the road like, it is for, you know, the men. That was pretty cool. Um, there was a lot of cheering and support. Um, my dad came over and surprised me for the last stage. And, you know, here's my dad. Handed you a camera. camera. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, when I found out the last day was going to be televised, I was trying to call him to say, you know, hey, you can watch this on TV. And, I couldn't reach him. I couldn't reach him. Finally, I called my sister and I said, "You know, I can't reach Dad, but we're gonna we're gonna be on TV this last day." And she said, "Yeah, he's traveling." So I, I'm oh. like, "Okay, well, we're gonna be on TV." 
So the last day we do like, I don't know, 30 kilometers, and then we come down to the Champs-Élysées and we do a number of laps around there. And the first time we went by the start-finish line, I heard somebody yell, go Marianne Martin, and I knew it was an American. (laughs) So, you know, next lap around, I look over to see who it is, and there's my dad. Oh, that's not fair. (laughs) he he surprised me by by coming over, which was so cool. (laughs) And, um, And then afterwards... You know, so that was really fun. I got to play with him, and, and he stayed up some time, and he went down to wine country, and he took the newspaper, and he, he showed, and he said, moi, papa. Now, I grew up in a small town with my dad being the family doctor, and all the time I growing, growing up, I was Dr. Martin's daughter. <laughs> and so it was so fun that he got to go around wine country with the paper saying he was Marianne Martin's father. Oh, man. So that was that was really fun. I just I, um, I don't know if I'd be able to stay up on the bike seeing you know especially coming around there. I could only imagine the reaction of seeing him there. But well, good for you uh, for staying up. <laughs> it, it was really exciting to me. It was really a big highlight. And you know what else is cool is that um, because I was into photography, I also got to know a lot of the photographers that were on the the um, circuit. And they all sent me photos, so I have a fabulous photo oh, album cool. from the tour of of all these things, and oh, uh, I feel I feel that's a, a real precious gift. <laughs> so you you come back to the states obviously after that huge high, um, and and I'm I'm not I'm not saying this to be cruel, but it's because I feel it's not very fair um, trying to research. Um, your career after 84, um, it's, it's very hard to find and stuff like that. Was there a, what, what happened after that? Where did you, where did your career take you upon coming back to the States? Well, the next year, let's see, 85, um, I, I constantly struggled with anemia and it turns out I have this blood condition called thalcemia where my blood cells don't live as long. And I would never know that if I wasn't an athlete. But because every time I started training hard, I got anemic. Um, I I struggled with with that. So I get anemic a lot, and that that turns out to be why. Um, But so the next year, I rode in the Course Classic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I don't know if you couldn't do both. Um, I rode in Europe in the spring, and I got really sick. That was it. I, I got really sick at, when I was racing in Europe in the spring. I came back, and I raced in the course classic, which I probably couldn't run, because then I wasn't, I wasn't healthy enough to ride in the tour the next year. Really? Okay. Um, the course classic obviously has a huge soft spot in your heart for you. Is that, of, of all the races you were able to be a part of, I mean, I'm sure other than that, that amazing 1984 win, um, is, is there a specific race or something like that that has a real soft spot for you? Oh, no, different, different ones for different things. Like, I won the opening stage of the Tour of Texas one uh, yep, year. And, I remember that. You know, there was just different things. Um, sometimes just, you know, and I feel bad saying this, but sometimes just beating somebody that I really wanted to um, – <laughs> You know, that's not bad. Was a big thing for me. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and you know, I love the close classic because it was a home, you know, a home race. But um, 
I just love the whole thing. I love the traveling. I love the camaraderie. I I love the family that we had as we, you know, traveled around the country and raced and the lifestyle. There was so much about it that I loved. In addition to winning. <laughs> Even without winning, I loved so many things. Yeah. So it's the people that you're going to take away with. I mean, you're, you're mentioning some people, you know, Steve Tilford's still heavily involved in it and, and you know, and some of those <laughs> people that just keep going. Um, are you still involved in the sport in, in any method? You know, I'm not. I, when I quit, I actually, I didn't want to quit, but it was a health thing. And so I, I walked away from the sport. I thought about coaching because I'm really interested in that, but I, I needed to walk away from the sport. And I, I'm not involved now, but I do think about getting back involved and in working with athletes on visualization because it's, oh, my gosh, it's so powerful, and nobody's doing it. Wow. I, I just, I'm so surprised that it's not a huge thing by now. But um, I think it is something very powerful in our life, whether it's sport or any kind of direction that we take. Uh, do you have any thoughts on, I mean, just from, even though you're not necessarily 100% in, in the, in the state of, uh, of women's cycling and where it is right now, and, and um, personally, I feel that it's in a, it's, I, I have it, I see it as a, in a difficult spot right now, personally, um, dealing with the shadow of, of the men's scene. I mean, in, in my days that I remember very fondly, we had the Course Classic, we had the Orida uh, challenge we had the tour of Texas and um, I, 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 I'm curious about where where the sport is going and I was wondering if you had any opinions on that well I, I do and um, I, I have a couple of thoughts and that the biggest thing I notice is that the attitude from women is give me give me okay. and I think it needs to be let me help you. Let me help you. Oh, wow. Because why would somebody want to give people money to race their bikes? I mean, it, it doesn't, the return has got to be really small. I mean, I know that when I was racing, we didn't get a lot of money, but the little bit we have was because of the heart of the, of the sponsors. Yeah. And now people want to have bikes and they want to have a stipend and they want, they want, and they want, and it's, it's not a big return sport. I mean, it could be, and they could make it that way, but they need to make it that way to want to get people to want to invest money in it. And so I think it's a little bit cart before the horse right now. Okay. I see. Yeah. I also see some slight need of, of a little bit of separation um, from the men and the women, um, I, I loved events like the Orida Challenge over in Idaho that was its own standalone event um, because I don't think I don't think the two can really coincide each coexist with each other very well. They're they're different types of racing. They're different types of athletes, and it's it's just I I don't know. What do you do? You, do you think about that? I mean, is that something that you consider? Or? Well, I do, and um, I think it was. I never did Orida. I think it was a cool concept. Yeah. Um, a couple of, like, scattered thoughts in that if women and men are racing together, it gets people to see women racing that might not otherwise see it. That's true. And we used to have to do criteriums while the men would go out and do road races. Yeah. 
that never really offended me. I, I, I don't, again, I feel like we've got to be helping somebody do something because they're paying for us to do this. They're paying for our prize money. They're, you know, we're getting, we need to give in order to get. So there, there's that. And um, if we are in conjunction with the men's race, I, I think that's a good thing. Okay. Or I is a great concept, but again, it didn't last. And I don't know if it, if it works for them or not. I thought Corvus Classic was a great uh, design in that we did some criterions, we did some road races. Yeah. It was mixed up. It was very uh, spectator-friendly, which I think bike racing needs to be. And, and that, I think people need to understand a little bit about bike racing. And so telev- televised commentary is really helpful. And also even something that hasn't been done, but bringing in uh, citizens' events, I think yeah. would be really appropriate because then people realize how hard it is to bike race. I mean, you look at people out there bike racing, you can't tell hard, how hard it is. No, especially when the camera's behind them and all you see are their butts or something like that. Right. Yeah. But if you, if you have a citizens' event, like maybe the men are going to do a 100-mile race, and so maybe the day before citizens get to do that ride or, you know, to bring in citizens, bring in uh, interaction and appreciation and make it better for the sponsors, that's what it needs to grow the sport. Yeah, especially with this Fondo mentality. God, you're on to something. With people so passionate about riding Fondos, if they could do a Fondo of the course prior to the time they raced it, that right, could, people would love that yeah. so much. Yeah, be able to do the. I'm trying to think of the course classic routes. You know, tour of the moon, or or even um, tour of the moon. Even what was the yeah. other one? Um, oh, Margot Bismarck, right? A couple laps around that. Right. That would see awaken that some great? eyes. That would be great. <laughs> wow, we're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, okay, so now now what do you what keeps you busy now? What 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 do you, what is Marianne Martin up to these days? I'm a portrait uh, photographer. Oh, it I... came for a circle, didn't it? Dad was right. <laughs> Dad, Dad was right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, and, and I love working with people and, and creating beautiful portraits of people and making them look they're great, you know, their greatest. You know, I love that. I, I miss the sport, and I still think about doing something with the sport, but I don't know what yet. So um, that's chapter 14, I guess. But, um, <laughs> I'm on chapter 13 right now, and that's um, portraits of families and uh, their animals or their business portraits and, you know, just making people look great. All right. All right. So um, that's, you know what? I, I've only got one more, and I think it, I, we almost repeated it uh, earlier on because I, I do come into contact with, with young women who want to get involved in the sport, and, and they'd love to hear from people like this. And So if you could say something to a, a, a young girl who was interested in, in being a bike racer, she's a, she's a goofball, she's, she's a runner, and the guys think she's crazy, and she doesn't do the ball sports um, would there be advice from a, a Tour de France champion on, on what to do here? You know, just keep at it and keep listening and learning and 
and, and enjoying. You know, the process is so much fun. And, um, you know, winning is great, but doing is fabulous. So I just think it's such a fabulous sport, and uh, it, it just helps you feel so great. And I think if you just stay with it, you can really achieve a lot. I really like your mentality. I'm really finally, I'm really glad I finally got to catch up with you and get you on the show. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's really fun, and it's really fun to bring back that part of uh, my life that seems so far away sometimes, but yet not. So, well, many times also. Thank you for what you've done for American Cycling. I know that sounds cheesy, and I know it sounds like I'm, I'm you know, putting some big deal out of it, but. It is a big deal, damn it. So, so uh, thanks for coming on, and thanks for talking with me. All right. Thank you so much. See, what did I tell you guys? Cool person. Fun person to talk to. Bright personality. And um, some good advice for people wanting to get involved, for ladies wanting to get involved in the sport. Do it for the love of it. Don't do it for what it can offer you in terms of monetary returns. Speaking of which, God, Leadville drew $400 out of my bank account. You guys know how I feel about big entry fees. Okay, I'm going to stop talking about that. You guys, get on the website, packfiller.com. Click, buy a couple Sufferfest videos. Throw some shekels my direction so I can pay back. (laughs) an entry fee and um be sure and uh rank us on itunes if you want to get involved with the podcast if you want to talk to me or anybody like that facebook obviously pack filler productions twitter at pack filler or you can go to old-fashioned email patrick at packfiller.com um that is i guess that's the show for this week i will be catching you guys later i gotta go ride